is Nick. I'm excited to share with you guys tonight from uh, the book of Luke, chapter 15. So we will be there uh, shortly. But uh, before we look at Luke 15, um, I'm curious if you've ever done something purely uh, that because you love the person that you're doing this with, right? You wouldn't normally do this thing, um, but you're doing it because you love that person. Um, for me, there's a few things like PJ Masks is one. Like I would never watch PJ Masks on my own time, but Keller loves it, um, or at least used to. Um, another one is when uh, Britt and I were dating in college. She loves to go to museums, and that's not something that I normally would do on my own. Uh, but when you like a girl, you, you do things that you normally wouldn't do. And so uh, over the years, this is something I've come to really actually enjoy and appreciate. And oftentimes when we travel to a new city, we end up at a museum somewhere. Um, and when, one of the things that I've come to love about museums is a specific style of art called a triptych. A triptych is a series or three uh, paintings or three photographs or three prints that are hung uh, next to each other. And together they tell sort of this singular narrative or story, but they also each have their own unique qualities or traits to them. And today in Luke 15, we're going to see a triptych of parables. Jesus tells three parables in succession, and, and from them we're going to see a singular narrative, um, but they also each have their own unique characteristics. And so I invite you to look with me in Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. In this uh, triptych of parables, we're going to see Jesus... Uh, with these two groups of people, right? The, the Pharisees, uh, the religious, and then the tax collectors and the sinners. Uh, and the conflict would have been high between these two groups, right? These two groups of people did not get along. Uh, it wasn't like they were sharing meals together. Uh, they wouldn't have been taking care of uh, each other's sick. They wouldn't have been offering to walk each other's donkeys if that was a thing. Uh, they were separate, they were, uh, and they liked it that way. Thanks, Kev. Appreciate the laugh back there. <laughs> Only one. We see Jesus uh, making a habit out of eating with all the wrong people, according to the Pharisees. So the Pharisees were upset that Jesus was hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners, right? And so they begin to mutter. And in response to their muttering, Jesus tells these three parables, one right after the other. So verse 3, we see the parable of the lost coin. I'm sorry. Verse 3, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, There'll be no, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Verse 8, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, 
I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Uh, Before we go any further, I'm going to invite you to turn and talk in small groups. And uh, we just read the first two parables, uh, right? The parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And before we go any further, I want to just pause and give you a chance to to turn and talk. Uh, What similarities do you see in these two parables? What are things that we see happen in both of these parables? So take a few minutes, uh, groups of threes, fours, whatever works, and we'll come back together in a minute. All right, Nora is going to be our mic lady today. Uh, throw your hand up real quick if uh, there was like something that maybe your group said or um, something you said that was sweet, a similarity that you saw between the two parables, and we'll have Nora run the mic over to you. Calvin? It turns out that the lamb and the coin... Back at the time, they are both like one of a kind because sheep or lambs are used to make fur and food, while coins are used to get food, clothes, and many other stuff. So, so they're very valuable in that time. And if one person is like losing or, or lost it, they're probably going to have like a lot of time. But if they find it, they're going to feel so happy they want their neighbors and their friends to celebrate with them. Love and it. And that is exactly what happened. Calvin just stole all the answers. <laughs> Love it. Anyone else want to jump in there? Hard, hard act to follow. Nora? Oh, Obs? And then after Obs, we got Steph in the back. All right, Obs, what you got? Um, they're both lost. Yeah, they're both lost. Good. Calvin, I like what you said, too, about how they both seemed valuable to the people, right? Um, I kind of noticed something, and I don't even know if I noticed it before today, but they took a lot of work to go find, like a lot of effort. So the other sheep had to be lost, and he had to go searching for the one. And then the woman, like, wrecked her house, like tearing everything apart, worked really hard to find that one coin. So it just took a lot of effort to find them. Yeah, yeah. Good. Good. All right, Nora, you can bring the mic to Kevin. Thank you, Nora. Well done, Nora. Well done. It's no doubt, uh, as Jesus was telling these first two parables, uh, both groups of people would have been leaning in a little bit The Pharisees would have been uh, leaning in and thinking, hold up a second, what's he saying about us? Uh, The tax collectors and sinners would have had a similar response. They'd have been leaning and saying, hold on a second, what does this mean for us? Uh, Notice that the sheep and the coin seem to make, uh, they mean a great deal to both the people. Um, Both the owners, as you guys said, right, they go and find what's lost, right? The woman sweeps her house Uh, The man leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one sheep. We see God pursuing the one that's lost, even when it doesn't make sense numerically. And also how there's communal rejoicing when the lost thing is found. In both parables, we see communal rejoicing. 
See, I think in these first two parables, Jesus was starting to, to shatter some boxes that existed culturally. I think we see Jesus uh, letting everyone know that the kingdom of God isn't limited to just one group of people. We're going to keep reading in verse 11. So the parable of the lost sons. Verse 11, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. In order to understand the, the sort of the richness and depth that uh, this parable is going to uh, have, we have to understand how families like this would have worked. Uh, when the younger son comes to the father and asks for his inheritance, uh, this was the equivalent of, of basically saying, Father, I wish you were dead. I don't want to wait until your death to, to enjoy this inheritance. I want it now. This relationship we have is essentially a means to an end. I no longer uh, want to wait. Henry Nouwen, uh, an author, says this about the younger son asking for his inheritance early. He says, the son's leaving is a much more offensive act than it at first seems. It's a heartless rejection of the home in which the son was born and nurtured and a break with the most precious tradition carefully upheld by the larger community of which he was a part. See, not only uh, would asking for his inheritance early, it would have brought an immense amount of shame on himself, uh, but it also brought an immense amount of shame on his family and anyone in his community. The, the ripple effect of the son's sin is not only affected him, but affected everyone connected to him. See, at this point in the parable, when the son asks for his inheritance early, it was culturally acceptable at that time for the father to either beat the son or to kick him out of the house. And at this point in the parable, I think the crowd was waiting for that here, right? The son asks for his inheritance early, but yet the father, right, doesn't respond with a beating or throwing him out. He responds by graciously giving him what he desires. Uh, we're not quite at the age yet where our kids are about to leave the house, but um, this image of the father giving his son what he desires uh, makes me think about when I left home. Uh, when my wife and I were living in Chicago and we decided to move to Arizona, um, at that time, my parents were still living in Chicago and we were only about 30, 45 minutes away from each other. And I remember that leaving was hard. Uh, leaving for Arizona was not an easy thing for my mom and my dad to, to swallow. But um, I remember the day before we drove out to Arizona, right? we had the U-Haul, we had it all packed up. Uh, my mom and dad are in the driveway and we hug and I climb into the car and start pulling out of the driveway. And as I look back, right, I see my mom just sobbing. And I, th I think that's a beautiful picture here of, of what the father must have been feeling. He, he so desperately didn't want his son to leave, uh, but he graciously allows him to. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After... He had spent everything. There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And so in this part, right, we see the son, uh, he packs all his bags, he, he has his new inheritance, and he sets off for a distant land, right? He chooses to leave the father's house. And if we're honest, I think we've all wandered to distant land before. Where is the place that you set off for when shame kicks in? Where do you go when anger rises up? What website or app do you go to when control is what you're seeking? Uh, Eventually we see the younger son, right? He ends up poor, he ends up homeless, and he uh, is longing to eat the pods that the pigs are eating. All right, we find out that he's squandered everything. He's spent everything. He's lived it up, right? If printed teas were a thing back then, he surely would have had one that said YOLO, right? Uh, but notice that he doesn't just end up in the pig pen wanting to eat the pig food solely because of his own choices. Yes, in verse 13, right, it says he squandered or spent everything. But look at verse 14. Uh, There was a severe famine in the whole country. Look at verse 16. He longed to eat the pig food because no one gave him anything. Uh, We see not only individual sin here. Yes, he he made some poor choices. He lived it up and he spent everything. He lost his inheritance. But there was uh, sin over that land. There was a famine could not control that. And there was also a communal sin. He was in need, yet no one gave him anything. I think as I've been reading this text the last couple of weeks, this is uh, an area of the text that the Spirit's been convicting me in. I think so often uh, when I see someone in need physically or emotionally or spiritually, I assume it's their own fault that put them in that situation. Rarely do I consider the effects of a communal sin or sin over the land and things that have led them there that they couldn't have controlled. Verse 17. When he came to his senses, he, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Eventually, the son comes to his senses, right? He says, how many of my father's servants uh, have better food than this? Uh, I need to repent. I need to go back home. 
And as he's coming home, you can just picture him heading back home, right? Shame heavy on his shoulders, head hanging low. And Jesus gives the crowd another twist to the story that they couldn't have seen coming. Uh, The father uh, is filled with compassion. He runs to his son, he hugs his son, and he kisses him. The son is welcomed back into the family. He's given the best robe, rings, and sandals. He's given a place at the table, not as a servant, but as a son. See, I think in this parable, in in the younger son, we see that relationship with the father is the only thing that will satisfy our souls. This son went and lived it up. He had, I'm sure, what was a crazy time. Uh, But as he runs out of money, right, as there's a famine and as he's feeding the pigs, the only thing left that he is craving is restored relationship with his father. So the parable of, or in this parable, right, the younger son is is a reminder that we too uh, can wander and look elsewhere for joy, for desire, for comfort. The only place we're going to find it is with the Father. And so now our attention folks uh, focuses towards the elder brother in verse twenty-five. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, All these years I've been slaving for you and you never disobeyed your orders and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home and you, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you were always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So the elder son, right, he comes into the scene when the party is bumping. He he finds out that this party is for his younger brother. And he refuses to go in, right? He's pouting outside the party. He feels that justice hasn't been served. He's thinking, wait a minute. We're throwing a party uh, for this son who's wasted our inheritance, who uh, hasn't even been here all this time. We're throwing a party for him. Uh, he questions the motives of his father. And I love the father's response. Right? He says that the father went to him and pleaded with him. Notice how the father moves towards the older son. He doesn't scoff and walk away. He doesn't uh, get frustrated or slap him or scold him. He gently moves towards him. He lovingly explains to him the reasons why they're celebrating. Uh, The older brother's response, right, all these years I've slaved for you, right? You can hear the the, the sense of duty and pride in his voice. Look, I've done this. I've been here all this time. 
I think in the, the older son, it's a reminder, it's a warning that it's possible to be around the father, but have a heart that's distant from him. I think in the older son, right, we, we see that he was physically close. Yes, he did stay there, right? The father doesn't correct him when he says, I've done all these things. The father doesn't say anything about that, right? That's true, he was physically close, but relationally or emotionally, he was just as lost as his brother was. He was with his father, but he wasn't experiencing the good gifts that his father had to offer. This would have been a direct hit on the Pharisees. Uh, they viewed themselves close to God, close to the Father. In this passage, uh, there's two things I think we see uh, about the Father that we don't want to miss. One is that God moves towards the rebellious and the religious. And verse uh, 20 it, younger son's coming back, right? It says, the father got up, or so he got up and went to his father, and but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, right? So not only does he move towards the rebellious son who went and squandered all their money, but he, in verse 28, we see he moves towards the older son as well, Right? When he's pouting outside the party, we see God come and gently move towards him as well. So God moves towards the rebellious and the religious. Uh, the other thing that I think we see in this passage is that repentance leads to restored relationship with the father. We see the younger son, right? He uh, back to his father and is embraced by him and with open arms. But in contrast, we, we see the older brother left outside the party, and the parable ends there. The father invited him back in, ends with him outside the party. There is an invitation to enter the father's presence and house anytime. In these parables uh, we've looked at, there are some obvious similarities. In each one, something is lost, right? A sheep, a coin, and a son. In each one, uh, the one who loses something uh, gets it back. And each parable ends on, on a note of festive rejoicing and celebration when the lost one is returned, right? Uh, the, the, the guy threw a party for his one sheep, the woman threw a party for her lost coin, and the father threw a party for his lost son. Uh, but there's one striking difference between the first two parables and the third. In the first two, right, someone goes out and searches diligently for that which is lost. They let nothing stop them. But, and by the time we get to the third story and we hear about the tragedy of the younger son, uh, we're ready for someone to go out and search for him. But no one does. Tim Keller says this, by placing the three parables so closely together, Jesus is inviting listeners to ask, well, who should have gone out and searched for the lost son? There's a true story uh, about a young man who was a U.S. soldier during the Vietnam War. 
throughout his time uh, in the war, he uh, wrote letters back home and stayed in touch with his family. Uh, eventually, he went missing and contact back home ceased. The family and the Air Force uh, were not able to get word of him through any official channel. And so, uh, as the story goes, the older brother flew to Vietnam. It's said that despite the danger, he searched the jungles. He searched the battlefields for his lost brother. He was never hurt because uh, those on both sides had heard of his dedication and respected his quest. He eventually became known simply as the brother. You see, this is what uh, the elder brother in the parable should have done. This is what a true elder brother would have done. See, I think when Jesus puts a flawed elder brother in the story, he's inviting us to imagine and yearn for a true elder one. And we have him in Jesus. See, we need a brother who will not just come to a distant country to find us, but who will come all the way from heaven to earth. We need one who is willing to sacrifice his own life to bring us back into God's family. See, we all have rebelled against the father, either as the elder brother or the younger brother. We've all rebelled against uh, the father, either as the rebellious one or the religious one. We deserve alienation. We deserve isolation. We deserve to be feeding off the pods of the pigs. But because Jesus left his home in heaven and paid the price on the cross, instead we are offered a place in the father's house in his arms, and welcome to the feast in his home. Where Jesus was stripped naked of his robe and dignity, we now can be clothed with the dignity that we don't deserve. See, Luke 15 is a reminder of God's reckless love. It's a reminder of God's compassion and grace. It's a reminder of how celebration should take place when lost people are found. See, but ultimately, I think it's a reminder, it's an invitation to return home to the Father. Whether uh, you find yourself feeling Father or whether you, you find yourself far from the Father, uh, He is waiting, arms open. At Missio, uh, we often answer or reflect on four questions. Who is God? What has he done? Who are we? And what do we do? And so to close uh, Luke 15, I, I invite you to think through the four questions. Um, I'll answer the, the first three, and then we're going to sort of turn and talk and discuss what do we do with this. And so um, who is God? In Luke 15, uh, we see God as a compassionate father. He's gracious. He is uh, one who goes and searches. What has God done? He's embraced us. He's brought us into the family. Who are we? So who are we in light, right? Of Luke 15, we are celebrated. We belong. We have a role to play in the family. And what do we do? 
What do we do with this text? If, if all of those things are true, if God is compassionate, if God is gracious, if he searches for us, if he embraces us, if he welcomes into the, us into the family, what do we do? As we move into our week in the areas that we live, work, and play, how does this impact us? What do we do with those truths? And so I invite you to take the next few minutes in small groups that you were talking in earlier. What do we do in response to Luke 15?